Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Hey, it's Jay Zawoski. Welcome into this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. This is episode two of our season preview episodes. We're going to talk to George Richards about the Florida Panthers and our old friend Brian Hedger about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Two new rivals from the Discover Card Central Division. Wee! Look, this is the week. Hockey's about to start. Thanks for joining us. Quickly want to tell you how to get in touch with the podcast. Email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at madhousepod. Instagram, madhouse underscore pod. You can find everything about the Madhouse Podcast at madhousepod.com. And make sure you check out our merchandise shop, madhousepodmerch.com. That's powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. So like I said, this episode focusing on the Florida Panthers, who will be the Blackhawks' second opponent after the series against Tampa, and the Hawks will be Florida's first opponent. We're going to get into that right away with George Richards of FloridaHockeyNow.com. Well, hockey's back. Uh, it's a little yeah. played for the Florida Panthers, whose first opponent was the Dallas Stars, and they've got uh, the league's first COVID outbreak. Congratulations to them on that. Maybe they'll raise a banner uh, after yeah. the season. Uh, yeah. But uh, how are the Panthers adjusting to that news? And uh, I guess, and you're going to start the season against the Hawks. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, I think every team in the league is going to have to deal with this at one point or another. Um, for the Panthers, it just gives them an extra two days of practice, basically, because you go from starting the season, you know, on Thursday night to now starting it on Sunday. So. With training camp, you know, you already had an accelerated training camp. All this does is just give you a couple more days of practice and then hope that everything else plays itself out and that they actually do get to play a game on Sunday. So with all the things that are going on with the COVID, you know, don't take anything for granted. The next game on the schedule is Sunday against the Blackhawks. Hopefully we get to play it. Well, on that topic, uh, I know they're going to let 5,000 fans into the building. I saw right. the Lightning were planning on that and then changed their minds. 
is the plan with the Panthers still 5,000 fans as of this moment? Well, yeah, 25% of capacity. This building is about the size of the United Center, so it's a barn. Um, so, yeah, five, you, know, you guys have seen 5,000 people at the United Center. It's not going to be that many people. It's going to feel completely empty like you've got five. Um, but, yeah, that's the plan um, to let in 25%. I don't know what they're going to do because that was a, that was a decision by, by the Tampa Bay lightning to close Amelie arena. Um, you know, we're in Florida and the governor here's kind of let them do whatever the heck they want. I mean, I think the Panthers could put 20,000 in the building if they could, um, you know, according to our governor. So um, I don't know. It's up to the Panthers. I mean, to, to, to see what they want. I mean, if you look at the numbers, our, our numbers in Broward County are probably worse than Tampa. So um you know, that's something that they're going to have to, to wrestle with. Definitely going to lead to a lot of interesting decisions around the league as the year goes on, kind of making adjustments on the fly. And I'm sure that's going to end up uh, affecting practices and games as well in Florida sure. as, as in other markets. I think it's important in that case then to have especially a veteran coach like uh, Joel Quenville, who's kind of been through the ups and downs of hockey. And this is obviously uncharted territory for all of us, but even in a kind of a shortened season and then a restart restarted season, excuse me, in Edmonton, what were your impressions of Joel Quenville in year one with the Panthers and kind of how he handled the different situations that he's been presented with and what he's going to be facing in the future with the team with the COVID outbreak still ongoing? Uh, yeah, I thought he handled everything well. I mean, the Panthers didn't have a real long experience with it. I mean, they only had, you know, they had the, the two-week summer camp here in Florida, and then they went to Toronto and, you know, were quickly dispatched in four games by the Islanders. So it wasn't like they had to deal with a whole lot of the, the separation anxiety, I think, that a lot of teams did. You know, after you got to, like, the first month, you know, in the bubble, whether it was Toronto or Edmonton, you saw the players kind of be like, you know, getting a little homesick and getting a little tired of the courtyard that they were walking around. That was the only outdoor activity they got, you know, that kind of thing. So the Panthers didn't have to deal with that, obviously. They came home pretty quickly. But I think, you know, I think Joel handled everything the best he could. I mean, because you had an assistant coach opt out, which I don't know if that was for COVID or whether he was already, he'd already lost his job in, in my kitchen. Um, you know, so they just rolled with it and you know, it was what it was, I guess. Well, on the ice, the Panthers are dealing with some uh, pretty big departures. Mike Hoffman, uh, yeah. Denov, Colton Sevior, Matheson is gone. Uh, I saw that the team signed Anthony Duclair lately, and he's been playing on the top line with Barkov and Huberdeau. Uh, we know Joel Quenville, as Blackhawks fans, we know he loves to stick with lines. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. does it look like Duclair has solidified his spot on the top line, at least for now? Well, he has, uh, you know, they're scrimmaging today, and Huberdeau was now off the top line. They've replaced him with uh, Carter Verhage, a, uh, you know, bottom six guy that they got from the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, a guy that was kind of buried in that Tampa Bay lineup. Uh, the Panthers feel like he's got a lot, a lot of talent, and, you know, with, with a chance, he's really going to show off, and he's getting a chance now with DeClaire and Barkov. So we'll see if that, you know, we'll see what happens there. I mean, Again, the, the Panthers now, you know, aren't playing Thursday. Now they've got an extra two days. So it could just be Joel Quinville wanting to get a look at things. It could be Joel Quinville wanting to see if he could get two good scoring lines by moving Huberto down. So we'll have to see what happens there. For me, a guy I'm keeping an eye on is Owen Tippett, uh, who yeah. looks like he is, uh, you know, 30 years old with his build, 
with a skill set. Played a handful of games a few years ago mm-hmm. that hasn't played in a while. I know he traveled to the bubble but didn't get in. What can we expect from Owen Tippett with the Panthers this year? Is he a full-timer at this point? Yeah, I think Owen Tippett is a full-timer. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, he you know the Panthers made him the 10th overall draft pick in 2017. He makes the team out of camp. They gave him the seven, you know, the tryout, the seven games, and then sent him to junior. And the following year, we thought he had a legitimate chance to make the team. And he got like he was one of the early cuts, like didn't even make it to the first, you know, second preseason game. Uh, so this is his fourth training camp, and he is ready to make the jump. Last year, <clears throat> excuse me, last year he was at AHL Springfield and uh, led the team in scoring and you know despite missing half the season with a, with an injury so he really had a terrific first pro season I think he was going to get called up to the Panthers in the second half last year but he had a season-ending injury and uh, yeah he's going to get a chance here right now in this scrimmage he's on the third line so maybe that's where he stays I don't know you wrote uh, George on Florida hockey now about some of the changes that the team is looking to make on the power play. You had Aaron Eckblad, who's quarterbacking that unit. What are some of the other kind of tweaks that the team is making to kind of keep up the scoring pace that they had last season when they were in the top 10 in the NHL and power play goals? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you lose those two guys, uh, Dadnov and, 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 and Hoffman, those guys were, you know, the two leading goals, goal scorers for the Panthers last season. So losing them is going to be problematic, but they think that they're going to be able to fill it in. Joel Quinville totally tearing apart the power play from what it looks like, giving a lot of guys a different look, moving, you know, moving in Ekblad and taking out Ek, uh, Yandel. Whether that sticks or not, I don't know. But I think Joel Quinville is trying to use this time, this you know, this this accelerated training camp, to see what he's got, to see if he can throw something together and see if it works. Um, because yeah, I mean, the Florida power play the last two years, number two in the league two years ago, number ten in the league last year. Um, it's been pretty good, and it's been because of that first power play unit highlighted by Hoffman and Dadnov. Well, those two guys are gone. you got to find something else that works. Another thing the Panthers are also working on their penalty kill a lot, which they were doing during their scrimmage on Thursday. That's an area yeah. that they struggled in a little bit last season. Did you see any changes that they're making there? I, I, yeah, I mean, Colton Sevier, the guy that they threw in in the Matheson deal to, 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 to shed some salary – um, was probably their best penalty killer. And, and Matheson was a pretty good penalty killer as well, despite his problems in the defensive zone uh, with the turnovers and such. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they've got a pretty good, you know, killer in Nola Chari. Um, I think that they've got a couple hard-nosed guys that they're going to throw in there. Ryan Lumberg, guy they got from Calgary. Um, you know, Henestrosa from Arizona is going to get a look. I think uh, Owen Tippett might do a little double duty uh, penalty killing and pen- and power play. So um, that's something that they're going to be able to work on. I think a lot easier than the, the power play. I think the, the penalty kill, they've got a lot of guys who can uh, do some penalty killing, but power play, you know, that's where you, you, you know, you got to get some goals. Uh, on the blue line, the Panthers have had a really nice top pair emerge with Aaron Eckblad and Mackenzie Weger. Yes. Really nice chemistry. Two guys with career offensive years, even in the shortened season. What has been the key to their uh, chemistry and their development together? You know, it's hard to say, you know, it's, you know, whenever you talk about chemistry, you don't know how it happens. It just does, you know, right. I mean, on the ice. And it's just weird how, you know, you've got a guy that over the number one overall pick in Aaron Eckblad 
uh, back in what, 2014. And then you've got a guy that came this close to not being drafted. I mean, he got passed over one year and then in his overage draft year, the Florida Panthers trade back into the draft to take him. So, you know, you've got two ends of the draft spectrum, but they play together very well. I think uh, Mackenzie Weger is a guy that I don't think a lot of people around the league know. But once his name started getting bandied about, people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been following this guy for years. You know, he's a he's a pretty good little defenseman. I mean, he's got a good, good touch with the puck and he's, you know, got some offensive skills. And he and uh, Ekblad really seem to play off each other very well. One of the kind of big elephants in the room this season with the Panthers is Sergei Bobrovsky, who obviously didn't necessarily live up to expectations last season, or at least what we expect out of a guy like a Sergei Bobrovsky. How critical is it for the Panthers for him to make a big jump forward in year two with the team? Well, I think it's, you know, very important because he's your guy, right? I mean, he's the guy that you're counting on to to get 80% of the starts in net. He's your workhorse. And uh, he's the guy that you're going to have to write into the playoffs. I mean, that's the reason why they're paying him $10 million a season. So I think last year was just a, uh, a bunch of things that just didn't work out. I don't think Sergei Bobrovsky was that bad. I think that the team in front of him was pretty putrid most nights, especially on the defensive end of the ice. Um, and, and things looked a lot worse number wise than they did on the ice. I mean, there were games where I, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Bobrovsky gave up five goals and you were like, he's one of the three stars of this game because it should be 13 mm-hmm. to nothing. And, you know, I mean, so his numbers didn't look good. Bobrovsky, however, kept the Panthers in a lot of games where maybe they shouldn't have been in. So I, I think this year, you know, he's kind of settled in. Now, the, the problem is now though, <clears throat> excuse me, it's freezing cold in here. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like 42 degrees. Uh, we're snickering because we're in Chicago. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Florida guy, man. I, I, I love my sandals at home, but geez, it's cold. But uh, <laughs> the problem is with, with Bobrovsky, Bobrovsky is that he is a complete creature of habit, right? I mean, you talk to goalies, goalies have their routines. Bobrovsky takes that to a second level. And, and here we are about to enter the second week of training camp, and he hasn't been on the ice. You know, he's on that unfit to playlist. So I don't see him starting uh, against the Blackhawks, even if he comes back tomorrow, I, I because I think he's going to have to get himself back into like training camp mode and then start of the season mode and all that. So he's going to need two weeks whenever he does come back. And again, he hasn't come back yet. So uh, whenever that does happen, I think you got to give Bobrovsky a couple weeks to get himself set. So I don't think the Blackhawks are even going to see him uh, next week in either of the two games they play. Well, looking down the pipeline, hockey fans were exposed to two really solid uh, Florida Panthers prospects in Spencer yeah. Knight and Devin Levy in the World Junior Championships. I don't think either of those guys are NHL this year, but what's the no. future for those two guys? Well, here, we'll start with Spencer Knight because he's the guy that everybody knows. He's the Team USA guy, pitched the shutout in the gold medal game against Devin Levy, the other Florida Panther goalie prospect. Uh, you know, kind of that same dynamic I talked about with Ekblad and, and, and Uyghur. One was the number, you know, first round pick. One was almost undrafted. The Panthers took him in the seventh round. But 
Spencer Knight, he's a sophomore at Boston College. Last year had a terrific year, terrific freshman year at Boston College. Uh, season cut short because of COVID. You know, he's going back to BC to finish his sophomore year, perhaps get a national title um, with them. They're ranked number two in the country. When he's in net, Boston College is really hard to beat. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave Boston College this year, uh, after this year, and join the Panthers for training camp next year. I also wouldn't be surprised to see him go back for his junior year, especially if, you know, God forbid this season isn't completed or, you know, maybe Boston College gets upset or something and he feels like he wants to go back. And the Panthers would be fine with that. I think in a perfect world for the Panthers, uh, you know, Spencer Knight goes back for his junior year and then joins them, you know, after that. So uh, we'll have to see. Devin Levy, um, he's about to start his freshman year at Northeastern. Um, I think he's a couple years away, but, you know, gives the Panthers a lot of depth in the goaltending department. And, uh, you know, neither of those guys are going to be here for the next year or two or maybe even three. But, uh, you know, down the road, it looks pretty good for them. All right, George, I know you are at practice, so we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Take care, man. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. We'll see you later. That was George Richards of FloridaHockeyNow.com. Lots of good stuff about the Florida Panthers. That's a team to definitely keep an eye on in the Central Division. Lots of really good players, but not household names on that team. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to our old buddy, Brian Hedger of the Columbus Dispatch. A nice, long conversation with Brian about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Stay tuned to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. Locations in Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, and coming soon to Prospect Heights. Go try some of the best Nashville hot chicken, not only in Chicagoland, but on the planet. Get yourself the chicken tenders, the donut chicken sandwich, the mac and cheese. Everything you taste at Fry the Coop is fresh. Everything you taste at Fry the Coop is amazing. The best hot chicken I've ever had, and I am a connoisseur. So go visit our friends in Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, and coming soon to Prospect Heights. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. Place your order online at frythecoop.com and grab your food from the pickup window. It's safe, it's easy, it's fast. Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. Dr. Squatch is an all-natural, handmade-in-the-USA soap, hair care, cologne, beard oil, just general wellness company. You're going to want to check out drsquatch.com at the top right corner of the page there. You'll take that Squatch quiz. Once you're ready to check out, enter that promo code MADHOUSE20 and you'll save 20% on your order and help the podcast at the same time. What do we recommend? Well, that's very easy. My favorite is the Cool Fresh Aloe Soap. The Cold Brew Cleanse has become a favorite as well. The Pine Tower is the flagship soap for Dr. Squatch, but really that Squatch quiz will tell you everything you need to know about joining us here at Squatch Nation. Get yourself some thick bricks at drsquatch.com and don't forget that promo code madhouse20 welcome back into the madhouse chicago hockey podcast this is our episode two of our division preview episodes we just wrapped up with george richards about the florida panthers next up nice long conversation about the columbus blue jackets with our old buddy brian hedger of the columbus dispatch brian uh, good to see you again we're seeing you our listeners are hearing you thanks for joining us here on the madhouse podcast hey thanks for having me back it's always good to be back with people from chicago uh, love that place and love that market always still. 
Yeah, as soon as uh, Jay and I started talking about this idea, obviously, we wanted to have you on based on, you know, your affiliation with us, you know, one of our favorite people in the entire world, I will speak for Jay in saying that. And I honestly, like, prepping for this podcast was awesome to read your stuff in the dispatch, and you're doing great work covering the team, really looking forward to having you guys in the division. And I guess the good place to start then is probably the thing you're having the most fun writing about right now, which is kind of the drama surrounding a couple of the team's key players. Uh, yeah, the other day, it may have been yesterday, I don't know, the world kind of went chaotic yesterday, so I apologize for this. Really? Oliver Bjork- yeah, a little bit, just, just a touch, you know. Oliver Bjorkstan gets a new contract, and then I also read in the dispatch about Pierre-Luc Dubois, who apparently, even though he signed a two-year deal, that's like the signal. He wants out of town. Brian, for those of our listeners who are not intimately familiar with what's going on in Columbus and all that drama. Can you kind of sum that up and kind of tell us what the situation is there? Well, a good place to start with Columbus and being a, a division rival, you know, for one year is, you know, this is not the same Blue Jackets team by any measure that Blue Jack- that Blackhawks fans probably remember being in the old central division and they just beat up on, you know, relentlessly. This team has made the playoffs in four straight years. This team has upset the uh, number one seed, one of the best regular season teams of all time in the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2018-19. And they swept them while doing it the first uh, round. Everyone remembers that. So, I mean, now they don't have, you know, Artemi Panarin and all those guys, all those familiar names, but they they still have a lot of talent here. Um, so he, like, he, you look at this team and let's look at Pierre-Luc Dubois. So that's where I was going with that is, is Pierre-Luc Dubois had a big role in what I was just talking about. And in, the, in these last three years, especially, he has ascended quickly. Uh, in that first, his rookie year, he took over the number one center role from Alexander Wenberg, who the year before had 59 points, which was a pretty good season for him in a breakout. Um, he took it over. He's the number one guy. He is still the number one guy here, the number one center, unless Max Domi, who they just re- acquired from Montreal this past offseason, if he's, he may surpass him potentially as the number one center. Torts is leaving that. John Tortorella is leaving that open as a possibility in camp, uh, mainly to motivate uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's only 22 years old. But Dubois is a 22-year-old star. He, I mean, he just he, – Basically, uh, you want to look for a comp for him. A really good one, I think, would be Ryan Getzlaff in his prime. Uh, he's not quite to Getzlaff in his prime. We're talking Getzlaff when Getzlaff was younger, obviously. I mean, Getzlaff was quite a passer. Dubois not, not quite there in the passing angle, but, I mean, just the two-way game, he's huge. He is a tank. He's six foot three. They list him at, like, 223 or something, but, I mean – it wouldn't surprise me if he was close to 230 with all muscle, you know, like he is a tank. So, and he can skate and he's got offensive ability, great player, great young player. Uh, only area he really struggles is face-offs. Uh, a lot of young players struggle in that coming into the league. So, I, and, you know, Brandon Dubinsky, who was one of the uh, top face-off guys when he was still playing, he once told me, he's like, that guy is going to be dominant in the face-off circle eventually because he's just so strong once he learns how to bold people <laughs> in there so he's their top young guy right like it's him you got Warenski's up there you know on defense but he it sure seems like he wants out 
Like he wants out of Columbus and, you know, Elliot Freeman just had something either today or yesterday in his 31 thoughts speaking to an unidentified, sounded like a Blue Jackets player who said that we knew this was coming all along and he wants to play in a big market. Sounds very familiar to Artemi Panarin going to New York, you know, and Matt Duchesne didn't go for a big market to Nashville necessarily. He had his own reasons for leaving, but, you know, Panarin to New York. So sounds similar. Panarin was Dubois' line mate for two years, you know, and they, they became pretty close, honestly. And I'm not saying Dubois, watch for Dubois going to the New York Rangers. I'm just saying as a young, impressionable guy, maybe he saw that and says, hey, wait a minute here. You know, maybe I want to play in a big market too, um, you know. So he might be like, he signed a two year contract extension a week ago. Mm-hmm. And that was after an 18 month negotiation process in which the blue jackets said that they extended him offers of two years, five years and eight years him three options. And he picked the two year one at the end. And the report, there are multiple reports saying that he picked that two year deal with the understanding that it would make it easier for, you know, Yarmo Kekalainen to move him and get, get something back for him. Interesting. So is there, would you say there's bad blood or is it just a desire to sort of elevate his personal, the personal stardom, I guess, of Dubois? Because playing in Columbus, you're not going to be on NBCSN every night. You're not going to be one of the star players they show in the league. You know, I, I think that. Unless you win. You know, if you win the, if you win the cup, then right. you'll get some of that stuff. Right. Know? But it, so is it, is it, is there bad blood or is it more of just a personal preference to play somewhere bigger? I don't think it's necessarily bad blood. I, I don't think you can discount the, uh, I mean, he had a push and pull relationship with John Tortorella last year. Um, so you, you can't discount that. And, and it boiled over eventually. I mean, there was a couple couple of you know barbs in the media from both of them going both directions um but in the playoffs uh in toronto against toronto second game they're losing they lose that game uh toronto surges ahead in the second period on just a not a great play by dubois gets stuck in his own end and it's an odd man rush the other way that drives the john torilla absolutely bananas uh, before the third period, they are spotted by, you know, TSN cameras. Of course, they pick it, everything up. Yeah. And, uh, and they're having just a screaming match on the bench, back and forth. It wasn't just Torella screaming at him. It was going both directions. So I don't think you can necessarily completely just ace out the Torella factor. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily, well, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm leaving now. I think it, that, I mean, that might contribute to feelings. But I think... I think it's got to be something else. And, and you, I was on an earlier, I just did another podcast talking about this as well. And I, you know, the way, when I really start thinking about this situation, um, it can't just be the money either. Like people have mentioned the money, right. And uh, you know, we've heard potentially that, you know, the jackets may have offered him eight years at 8 million, which was probably a low for him. I mean, it, I mean, you look at the thing eight years down the road, if he turns into Ryan gets you're happy at $8 million, right? Well, he's probably not. He probably want a little higher than that. I mean, that, that's just kind of what we've heard. Um, but to me, if it's the money, then we also heard, and this was from Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM, in October, 
he was very worried about a contract offer sheet being signed by Dubois with some mystery team or teams, either one. There was a, you know, he was just worried about an offer sheet. So to me, if it's just the money, it's just the money. He's even, you're the agent, Pat Persson, super agent. You find the money in a contract offer sheet with some team. Yeah, I know you're in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that, that you have to factor that in. I mean, this is real money we're talking about. But you find a team to give him a, a contract offer sheet that you're willing to have your client play for for eight years. Because there are seven. It'd be seven years in that case. He maxes out. But seven years. And in that case, if you do sign it, now Dubois, if you're Dubois, you have to, you're, you're basically essentially saying, I just want the money. And I, I don't care if this team gives it to me or if the Blue Jackets give it to me, I'm going to force their hand or they're going to let me walk. But either way, I'm getting my money and I'm going here or I'm going there. And that's it. Like, so you really like, here we are. And it's like, he took a two-year deal for bridge and it looks like they're going to trade him. Like, yeah, I don't think you can just say it was, it was mainly about the money. Interesting. I, I, I think, boy, it, it's, that's a fascinating situation. And someone like that would have, we're looking at as we we do a Hawks podcast. Obviously, you've got Kane coming off the books in two years, and Keith and Taves, and like all these big contracts coming off the books. You just kind of find yourself wondering, like, look, the Hawks are talking about that sort of rebuild on the fly idea. Someone like that, oh yeah, that 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 gets you there, especially if Kirby Doc is who we think he is. You've got two centers ready to go for the for the long haul, and that that would be very tempting, but. Focusing on this year, uh, one of my favorite players in the league is Cam Atkinson. Just love the guy. I love his energy. Love I love little guys that succeed, and he's one of them. But he clearly missed Artemi Panarin last year, as anybody would. Um, what, has, what has he been doing in practices and scrimmages? Who has he been paired with? And could you see some sort of chemistry developing between him and Max Domi? I know Domi and Panarin aren't the same kind of player, but Domi's the kind of guy who can do some of that Jonathan Taves-style dirty work and dig out some pucks and get it to Atkinson again. Well, the good thing about uh, the Blue Jackets, you know, obtaining uh, or acquiring Max Domi is that they're going to play him at center. And so last year, like two years ago, he had like 70 some odd points and he was a center for the Montreal Canadiens and he likes playing center. And the Canadians just happen to have a bunch of young centers and, and other centers who are proven. Denall, former Blackhawk, is one of them. He's not necessarily young anymore, but he's not old. Uh, they got Kokaniemi. They got they got a number of guys who can uh, – Suzuki's another one, I think. So he kind of got pushed out of the center role because they needed to develop their young centers there. And he just didn't flourish on the wing. And uh, I think there was a little bit of friction there because of it with him and, and Claude Julien, the coach, who – in the playoffs ended up playing him on the fourth line. I mean, it was not great. Um, so now he's coming in here motivated. He's got a two-year contract and he's a center and like the, here. Cause the jackets, the one thing they really missed after Matt, uh, Matt Duchesne, you know, spurned them, you know, to, to go to Nashville was a second line center because Alexander Wenberg was supposed to be that guy. And just for whatever reason, the last three years, Wenberg, I mean, he fell off the map. And it uh, wasn't good in faceoffs to begin with, but um, he kind of fell off the map. And so they needed a second line center, like a legit one, you know, a legit top six guy. And that Max Domi gives him that. And so now to start camp, 
they have Nick Foligno, another guy who needs to up his, his production, um, you know, from what it's been the last three years or so. Uh, Captain Nick Foligno is on the left. You got uh, Max Domi at center, and then you got Cam Atkinson on the right-hand side. And I will say, I mean, they had their first scrimmage last night. They don't play a ton of defense in these scrimmages. It's hard for the Blue Jackets to scrimmage because their entire style is to beat the snot out of you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so they're not going to do that to each other. They're not going to, I mean, and they're not going to lay down and block 50 shots or whatever, like they do in a real game in a scrimmage. It's not going to happen. So they kind of torch their goalies that way in these scrimmages. So it was like a nine to six game or something, 15 total goals. So it's kind of hard to you know say, Hey, this guy's playing great in that one. But uh, all that said, uh, Nick Foligno had a, a hat trick last night and uh, Domi played well between them and, and Cam Atkinson scored a goal. So if they can get those three or, you know, if, if, if it's somebody else in the left-hand side, they have uh, Mikhail Grigorenko potentially maybe, you know, crack the top six. They get like a, like a second line that's centered by Domi with Atkinson producing that's very good for the Blue Jackets. And, you know, Dubois with this whole situation, the one thing I don't expect is for him to pout and be bad this year. Like, he, he's just not wired that way. Like, no matter what he thinks off the ice, that kid's going to give you everything he's got while he's still here. So I think their top line is still going to be pretty good. Last night, the top line was Alexander Texier, a second-year guy, French-born uh, forward. He's at left wing. Dubois was out in the middle. And Bjorkstrand was on the right-hand side. Dubois had two goals. Bjorkstrand had three. Um, Bjorkstrand's a stud. Nobody talks about him. He just signed a contract yesterday for 5.4 million average per year, five-year extension. He's 25 years old. He was on pace for 30 goals last year and then broke his ankle in a bad collision at the end of the game in February. Um, but I mean, the last two years, you look up his numbers, he's coming on as a goal scorer. So They've got talent in the top six. And, and I'm glad you brought up Cam because Cam is, I think he's 31 now, 30 or 31, but he keeps himself in really good shape. He's still, he's not, he has not lost a step. And I think last year it was about losing Panarin a little bit or, or, or maybe a more than a little bit, but it wasn't everything. I mean, like he went from 41 to 12. You know, like losing Panarin, he probably should have gone from like 41 to 31 or something like that, around 30. He's still been a third because he scored over 30 goals without Panarin here. I mean, he's a goal scorer when he's doing stuff. So he is very, very motivated this year. He's already said it. He's really, he said he's pissed off, angry at everyone saying that it was all Artemi Panarin. Bleep you, blah, blah, blah. I will prove you wrong. Like, like he's coming in with the right attitude. Well, his shooting, James, before you get your question, his shooting percentage was insanely low. Like, yeah. like 5.8 or something. So that'll that'll bounce back. That's my guy. I love Cam Mackenzie. He's my yeah. favorite jacket. He's a good dude. He really and, and you know what? He's got an A in the sweater now. Uh, he's He is really, I mean, he is committed to Columbus. I know you guys, you know, you're in the Chicago market. He has become a very beloved figure here. I mean, he does a lot of fun. Him and him and Felino are both, you know, long-term guys here, and they just do funny stuff. Like, you know how the Blackhawks always do those funny commercials and things like that? Same thing here with those two, and, and uh, he's a great guy, you know, and a great – he's a great addition to their team. Yeah, obviously, uh, Jay, I know, is a big Cam Atkinson guy. He talks about him a lot. So I, I kind of knew that that was where that was going. Um you brought up a couple of interesting points, Brian, that I did want to drill down on just a little bit, kind of looking at some of the 
Blue Jackets struggles, not only at even strength on offense last season, but also on the power play. They obviously were ranked near the bottom of the league in their goal scoring last season. And there's been a lot of talk about the types of changes that John Tortorella is going to kind of bring to the mix. We always look at him as kind of a hard ass. He's always wanting guys to finish checks, to be physical, to do all the things that are kind of hallmarks of the Blue Jackets. What kind of changes is he going to kind of bring in this season to try to up that goal scoring a little bit, aside from just bringing in guys like Max Domi? Well, the plan, and, and we know where plans usually go real quick, especially in an NHL hockey season, but the plan is to back off, you know, loosen the reins a little bit. Not a lot, not a whole lot, but like they went through a whole season last year where, I mean, it was a mandate. It was demanded. You keep three players high in the zone at all times. So if Wierenski's going down to chase offense, one of those forwards better be back up at the the blue line playing defense along with another forward and a defenseman, (laughs) you know, because we will not give up odd man rushes. It's just not going to happen. Not going to do it. So it's a trade-off, right? So when you do that, you got two guys down low trying to create offense. You're not going to create a lot of offense. So the trick for them this year is to figure out situations where they can still play that style, but then maybe go away from it a little bit, Um, you know, and try and get a goal, you know, try and forecheck a goal and and stuff like that. Because they can also forecheck pretty well. Some of these guys, Dubois is a great forechecker. Boone Jenner is an amazing forechecker can't really finish a whole lot of some of the, some of the uh, scoring chances he gets. He creates a ton of them, but, um, but he, he can really drive possession. Uh, you know, when he's freed up the forecheck and he was playing center last year, they're going to move him to the wing because they got Mikko Koivu familiar name to you guys in the central. They got him to come in and, and either center the third or fourth line and have Boone, you know, move out to the wing and just strictly forecheck basically when he's out there. So um, you know, th- those are some of the things they're looking for. Listen, you mentioned the power play. That's a huge area. I mean, the last three, the, ever since I have come from Chicago here, their power play has had a couple times each season where they're like dynamite and every other outside of that, they're terrible, just awful. And I, we can't even, I mean, even when they had Panarin, they weren't good. And it was like, you had all the, they, they have plenty of talent. Uh, as far as, you know, scoring goals and stuff like that on, on the uh, the power play, it's a mystery. They don't move the puck super well, I, I don't feel. Uh, they play that 1-3-1 that, uh, setup just like everybody else. But, you know, there's a difference, you know. Like, I, I did that. I went back and I looked at Tampa Bay one point, and I was just like, hey, what makes Tampa Bay's 1-3-1 so freaking good compared to the Blue Jackets? Well, a lot of it's talent, you know, as far as high-end talent versus, like, kind of high-end talent. Um, they zip the puck around in Tampa Bay. I mean, they zip it around in angles and ways that like nobody else can kind of, and the jackets struggle with that. You know, they, their, their passes are getting intercepted. They're going back. I mean, it's almost like the other team, there's been times where you feel like you wish it was the NFL and they could just turn down the penalty, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, just don't take the power play and move on because things are going well. And the momentum is going to change if you give up like a, breakaway shorthanded or something that sounds familiar uh, i was gonna say jay that sounds exactly <laughs> like what we, we have to deal with all the time back to more of our conversation with the columbus dispatches brian hedger after this message on the madhouse chicago hockey podcast 
The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is made possible by our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street. They're family-owned and operated since 1933. You've heard us talking about Marishka's since day one of the Madhouse Podcast, and with good reason, some of the best food you will ever have. Go visit our friends in Crest Hill. Try the world-famous poor boy, the steaks, the chops, the seafood, the double-baked potato, the mountain of onion rings. Everything you taste at Marishka's will have you coming back again and again. Visit their website, marishkas.com, or their Facebook page, facebook.com slash marishkas. That's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. Close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. Go visit our friends at Marishkas in Crest Hill. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Right back to our conversation with Brian Hedger of the Columbus Dispatch. I want to focus on uh, the blue line, specifically Seth Jones, who is uh, panned out to be an elite defenseman. Is there more room for growth for him? Do you see him becoming the Norris Trophy type defenseman that a lot of people expected he would be in his career? I don't think that I don't think that's out the window. I think he's awesome. I think he's getting better. Uh, do you think he's maxed out, or is there more to go for Seth Jones? Problem with Seth and the Norris is I don't think his offensive numbers are ever going to be up there to where everyone's like, oh, he's the for sure Norris winner. Like he'll, he'll put up some good offensive numbers. He's scored 16 goals in a season before. I mean, that was him and Wierenski in my first year here, 17, 18, they both scored 16, um, which at that time was a franchise high for defensemen. Now it's uh, Wierenski at 20 last year. So when I look at the both of them, Wierenski and Jones, I honestly think because of the way the voting usually goes, I almost think that Wierenski has a better chance of winning the, the Norris than Jones does. Cause Wierenski, I mean, he scored 20 goals last year in like 60 some odd games. You give him a full 82 game schedule. He might score 25 or 30. I mean, that's the, the he's lethal uh, as far as, you know, getting him open for shots. And that's, it's become like an offensive defenseman award. But if voters were to open their minds a little bit and look at the other side of the puck the defensive side and look at the combination it's supposed to be the best overall defenseman right in my mind because i watch the guy like every single night there's no better defenseman in the, in the national hockey league i'm sorry there's just not like he gets them out of their end zone with no problem he can skate it out he's got a great first pass um he can just completely take over a play or a, like an overtime like that Fun guy to watch if the, if the Jackets and the Blue Jackets – or if the Jackets and the Hawks go to overtime this year, three-on-three, three, watch Seth Jones. Because Seth Jones in a three-on-three three setting with, like, all that ice, <laughs> good luck. It's, it's really fun to watch because he can pass, he can skate, he can shoot. He's amazing. Um, but, I mean, just the, the, just the little plays that he makes that, like, you, he'll make a play, he'll skate something, and you'll be like, Wow. Like, there's not another defenseman in the NHL that I can even think of that can even come close to making that play. And coaches see it, you know, and, and Tortorella has been talking about it for three years now. But it's just a voter thing. And, and you know, it's I don't want to bang on the voters. Believe me, I've, I've taken a lot of heat for some of my votes the last couple <laughs> of years on certain things. Um, but it's just – it is what it is. If people – you know, eventually decide, let's just, let's actually pick the best overall defenseman in the NHL. He might win the Norris. That's why Jay and I shouldn't have votes because clearly we would end up basing it on something like, you know, overall ability, but who knows? Um, (laughs) I did want to talk about one other big strength of the blue jackets and one that I think really needs to be stated, especially for 
Blackhawks fans who are about to go through the Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, Kevin Lankinen, Matt Tompkins um, kind of circle of life this season. And that's the fact that you jerks in Columbus have two really strong goaltenders in Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens. Like watching those guys play on a nightly basis is a lot of fun. It's a great clinic on how to play goaltender in the NHL. And they obviously have the numbers to back it up. It is, you know, whichever guy they have in net, it seems like is going to have a really good night, make it really tough for you to score goals. Uh, how important is that for Columbus to have both of those guys still in the fold, especially with some of the changes they're trying to make on offense, because you want to try to limit the amount of goals that you're giving up. Well, it's huge with the, especially with the style that this team plays. I mean, you, especially that second defense pairing, nobody ever talks about them, but you got Vladislav uh, Gavrikov, who's going to be in his second year in the NHL. And he's built almost exactly like David Savard, who's a, you know, grizzly veteran at this point those guys just soak up shots like you're gonna see it like it's almost impossible to get a shot through when those guys are on the ice like a good shot through because they're just gonna block it they're huge they're built like line like linebackers and they know how to use it and they're not afraid to uh so that helps a goalie you know when you know that shots from this angle this angle and this angle are just not going to come through so i just have to worry about this and i'm not saying that these goalies are bad i'm just saying that they're super talented and you add that on top of it it makes it tough to score goals on the blue jackets um but what they realized about these two last year you have to remember let's go back to the beginning of last season what was the first thing that said that people basically wrote the blue jackets off and said there's no way this team is making the playoffs at all in that division the first thing they pointed to was bob leaving was bob roski leaving and oh my god who is elvis merzlikens you know who is Eunice corpusala who are these guys they like you either nobodies and they wrote them off and both of them took though that personally as a challenge or whatever and they're both fiery individuals who really want i mean they both feel like they can be superstar goalies in this league and that's what you need, right? And this is a uh, this is a franchise. Another thing that people don't realize necessarily outside of Columbus is the depth that Yarmo Kekalainen has put into his goaltending organizationally. So you got these two at the top, and they are outstanding. You're absolutely right, James. That, that's a, a great you know uh, a point on that one. They are outstanding, and they're both younger, 27 years old. Behind them, they have a guy who's Russian. He's like six foot four from uh, Sergei Bobrovsky's hometown. His name is Daniil Tarasov. I think he's a second round pick. And they love him. And they think they like him even better than these two, like as far as ceiling goes. And they also got a guy who's going to be their third goal this year, Matisse Kivlinix, who's another Latvian, just like Elvis. Elvis, he's gigantic as well. He's only 23 years old. He just came in last year and made his NHL debut against the Rangers in Madison Square Garden and gave up one goal in a two-to-one victory. You know, like, they've got goalies. And, like, you know, their goaltending coach, Manny Legacy, a, you know, former goalie, uh, outstanding goalie, actually, at times uh, in the NHL. He's done a great job with all these guys. And so they've really put a lot of emphasis on goaltending. Those two in particular, it's going to be huge. It's a 56-game sprint. It's played over a cram schedule. They're both going to have to play a lot of hockey, and they're both going to have to play well if this team's going to win and make the playoffs again. 
I know Jay has another question, but I do have to point out, Jay, we're really going to have to work on our player pronunciations with the Blue Jackets. They've got a lot of really wild names. Elvis. We're the most international teams out there. I'm working on a story about that. I'm going to at some point this year. I think last year they had guys from nine different countries uh, in the locker room, and they, it's either eight or nine this year as well. we got a lot of languages being spoken. The Blue Jackets lead the league in consonants. That's for sure. Um, So lots. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. Good call, man. Right. My last question is about uh, John Tortorella, who's had a lot of success there, but a coach like that has a shelf life. Uh, Do things seem to be pretty good between him and the key players on the team? We mentioned the uh, Dubois relationship. There have been some moments, but how is Torts' shelf life in Columbus going? I think it's going well. Uh, and in some ways, and I didn't really realize this until I, I came here three years ago and started really watching this team closer. Um, John Torella is perfect for young players, even though there's, there's always some grind, you know, there's always some friction there between whatever. And, and it's natural because he wants to, like, like he looks at a guy like Dubois and he says, I want you to be Ryan Getzloff. I want you to learn how to be that guy. I don't want you just one side of the ice, you know, you know, not playing any defense and, and not playing the right way away from the puck and all that kind of stuff. He's like, you want to be Getzloff? Okay, let's get you there. Here's how you do it. And when you don't play that way, it's going to cause friction. He's not, and he's a guy that is going to, he is direct, whether it's media, you see it with the media, but he is direct with his players as well. You are not going to get any BS from John Tortorella. He's either going to tell you, you sucked today or you were good today, or like, actually it's rarely, I bet you he rarely says, yeah, you were great today or whatever, but he's not afraid to tell you when you, when you're not at the level he expects you to be. So I think he's actually a, pr- a really good fit for this team because they're always young every year. They're like among the youngest teams in the NHL because they really value drafting and developing and that kind of stuff. So I think Yarmo looks at this situation with Torts and says, you know, I want this guy. I want this guy teaching my young guys how to become professional athletes on and off the ice because it's going to, I mean, we need them to come up to speed pretty quick. So it, it, it will start to wear on, he, where he starts to wear on guys is when they're veterans for a long, and, and where he's fortunate here is that he's got two veterans leading the way in Felino and Atkinson who both flourish under that kind of coaching style now you know like he's not gonna he doesn't mince words like him and cam have had their moments you know he's he has healthy scratched cam in the last two or three years you know when he's whenever he's struggling and you know cam doesn't particularly like it i mean you don't nobody has to like it but like it ultimately helps make you a better player and and so i think it helps you got two veterans at the front of the room that say hey if he can do this to us and we can deal with it and we can handle it and win through all of it then maybe you guys can too when you're one year into the league or two years into the league. Mr. Hedger, I always love having you on our show, man. You're always so insightful. You've got such great knowledge and you're just, you know, a pleasant gentleman to talk to, I will say. But saying that, I... that. (laughs) My wife doesn't even say that. (laughs) I do have to put you on the spot, however, my friend, and I have to ask you a very important two-part question. Are they going to shoot the cannon off in Columbus this season if they don't have fans in the arena? And what do you, Brian Hedger, think of said cannon? Uh, okay, well, if I had to put money on it, I would say they're definitely they, – they probably are going to shoot the cannon off. They had a scrimmage last night in which 
it was a sim game, right? Like, like Tortorella, like he hates these scrimmages for the reasons I mentioned earlier. You can't beat up on each other, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's hard to tell whatever, but they wanted to mimic an actual game like setting as much as they could to get the guys into it, even though there was no, I mean, there was no fans there. That's what it's going to be like this year, you know, Mm -hmm. and they did not shoot the cannon off. The cannon wasn't even out. But that's they, why I asked the question because yeah. I saw you had mentioned that. Yeah, so they used they used the audio recording of the cannon, which is just not the same, obviously. <laughs> and they and they uh, one thing that was really interesting and cool. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a game in Columbus, but one of the cool traditions that they have here is with their anthem singer uh, Leo Welsh. Before he's announced, if it's a full crowd, you really notice it's kind of cool. They'll be like, you know, here to sing the national anthem is Leo Welsh. And then the whole crowd, the like 20,000 people go, Leo, like as loud as they can, right? It's, it's a thing. It's, it's Columbus's thing. Well, there's nobody in the building last night. There's a few media. There's, you know, some ice crew members and the players. And they did the whole thing. They had the announcer come on, you know, anthem singer Leo Welsh is a recording of Leo. And before he, the, the guy started singing, the players all went, Leo! Like, they <laughs> could. So, you know, it's, it was kind of neat to see that. I mean, it's going to be weird. Guys, it's going to be weird, you know, being an all Going to the United Center this year in that big cavernous building, I mean, the, all the jokes about before they were good and there was nobody in there. There were still some people in there, you know, like it, it's just going to be so strange to be in there and watch hockey, you know, at, at these empty buildings, but, but any hockey is better than no hockey, I guess. So that's the way you got to look at it. Absolutely. Right. Brian Hedger from the Columbus dispatch. Thanks so much for joining us on the Madhouse podcast. Make sure you follow Brian on Twitter. You should be already at Brian Hedger. Thanks, man. We appreciate your time as always. Absolutely. I've gotten used to the cannon too, by the way. I know when it's going off and all those, so I can plug my ears whenever I need to, but it was kind of scary the first few games I, I switched over here. I have a buddy, uh, Rick Gethin, who used to cover Blue Jackets games and he educated me on all of that. So he, he helped me out and it was very <laughs> nice to be able to go, oh, song's coming on. Like, yeah, but sometimes you'll forget, like you'll, get, you'll be like, oh my God, what a goal. And you start like <laughs> tweeting and then it's like, boom, you're like, ah! I mean, and, and you see it with the visiting media all the time. And like, I, I'll sit there and when I'm, when I have my, when I'm on my game, I'll take my phone out and I'll just be like, oh, this is going to be great. Like as soon as there's a goal, I grab it. And I'm like, <laughs> looking at the, uh, the visiting me. Cause I know it's gonna be like, ah! cause it's loud, you know? And, and of course the place in the press box that I sat when I covered a game in Columbus was right in front of the cannon. So, right. Well, I got the full experience. The other thing that, you know, that, that a lot, most people don't realize is that they, you know, the smoke and all that stuff, there's a little, if you actually hear the actual cannon, the, the, the smoke and the explosion that comes out of it, it's a little pop. It just goes pop. And there's like smoke that comes out. The real noise actually comes from the rafters and you can see if you ever come to the columbus uh you know to columbus when in a normal year or whatever look up in the rafters above the scoreboard you'll see a, a it, those are demolition experts and they have it's actual like explosives and so that's where they set the noise off up there and they have all these big time uh, microphones and that it just goes directly through the sound system like the explosion goes through the sound system and everyone thinks it's the cannon below but it's actually the whatever they're setting off in the, in the uh, uh, rafters. So yeah, that is- road trip, Jay, we're going to, we're going to have to meet those guys. I want to talk to them. I love oh, yeah, the cannon, the cannon crew. Well, there's two of them. Like you get the guys who are by the cannon. They, they're the official cannon crew and they're dressed in like the civil war stuff. No, I want the guys who have access to the bombs. 
Yeah, exactly. Get those guys, you know, it'd be, it'd be fantastic. So I love Columbus is a great venue. I love, I love going there for a game. Yes. Great I love going, I love going to the bars around the arena too. Oh. Like that's just, that's such an awesome area. I love, love Columbus. In a normal year, let's have you guys come out here. And once we get past this thing and we all get a vaccine, hopefully, and we're going to, we'll go to the R bar and throw a few back. Sounds sold brother. All right, Brian. Thanks man. Nice catching up. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. That's going to do it for our Columbus and Florida team previews. Thanks, everybody who listened. We are very, very close to the puck dropping. We've got one more preview to do. That will be with Kaylee Chelios. She is the daughter of Chris Chelios. She'll give us a scouting report on the very, very strong, very formidable defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. And we'll put on front of that interview a short season preview podcast. I think James and I are going to set some overs and unders for the year and make some predictions before the puck drops on Wednesday. Cannot wait. We've made it. Hockey is here, and we'll be with you every step of the way. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. What you doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio, I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible.